welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. It is the last episode of season two before we head into season three in just a few weeks. And I'm not saying that we've saved the best for last, but honestly, I feel like this is an episode that is going to resonate with so many of you because we've all been there, right? You're at a restaurant, sit down, you're handed the wine list, and then you're like, ugh, what do I do now? We're going to break that down today. All things wine etiquette at a restaurant, and I have aggregated all of your burning questions, deepest insecurities, biggest fears around wine and restaurants, giving you the inside scoop on what you should and should not, because there are a few do nots, be doing. Everything from corkage, tipping, tasting, ordering. I'm going to be fully candid with you. You're getting the full scoop with me. And uh, having worked in hospitality for almost two decades, both as a server and then the last decade as a sommelier, I have a little information to share. So since these topics can be a little bit on the delicate side, I thought today was the perfect opportunity to bring someone who can not only help me unpack these questions, but who can also add an element of humor. Because at the end of the day, a little comedy can go a long way when it comes to navigating some of these very teachable moments. And no one, and I mean no one, does that better than my guest today. You guys know him as the face of your favorite servers, cooks, managers, guests, and even parents at the internet famous Bistro Huddy. Please welcome to the show, Drew Talbert. For those who don't know you who haven't seen your videos, which I feel like is a lot of people because you've got like, you've got millions and millions. What Are you up to billions at this point of views like across all of your platforms? Views? Oh, wow. I've been stopped to do that. I, I probably, but. <laughs> probably. I, f- I feel like all of your videos are consistently like over the many millions mark and you've been doing this for a time, but you, so you're a content creator. You started in hospitality though, right? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned two decades. That's about it for me. About twenty-two years as a server. Wow. I spent a, a summer as a busboy before that. As you know, as a nice. teenager, but earning your stripes. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Nashville and Los Angeles. Uh, in Los Angeles, it was uh, uh, Beverly Hills and the Valley. Split between there and, and, and a couple years in Malibu. And I've done everything from you know chain casual dining to ultra fine dining to casual Malibu upscale casual diner. <laughs> Pinot Grigio fare. on ice all day. Yeah. Yeah. It was this restaurant right by the Malibu colony, which is one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in the world. And wow. so, you know, they'd come in in their, you know, t-shirt they slept in and go grab breakfast, you know, these A-listers and stuff. Which taught you more Nashville or, or, uh, California about like serving and life. Well, I served much more in California. Okay. But there was a restaurant in Nashville where it was my first experience with real scale dining. It was Sean Brock's uh, first restaurant yeah, as an cool. executive chef. It was in the historic Hermitage Hotel. There's a restaurant down there. And I got on as a back waiter even after I had like five, six years serving experience. I started there as a back waiter. Okay. And the manager there was really keen on teaching. Yeah. And they had a the thickest wine list I've ever worked with, you know. And also we would take classes on every because, you know, they were they were five diamond okay. service points. And so it was like, you know, we had to take classes on tea service and every 
everything. Yeah. Because if they came in to secretly judge us, if we did anything from the wrong side of the guest or any error like that would count against. So it was like an incredibly meticulous dining. Yeah. And I learned a lot about food, you know. And then in California, I worked for some great chefs and I worked at a great seafood restaurant and I learned a lot about white wine there and had the you know benefit of some very educated bartenders and managers and other servers along the way. And I just, and chefs, and I would just like, I learned like after a while, like, oh, you know what's smart is to ask questions yeah. of these people. Like, hey, why, why'd you do that? What's, what's, you know, just learning that way. I think Sean Brock's kind of known for, at least now, for having a really well-rounded, well-trained staff. And that, I think that is kind of some, and we'll talk about that because there's an article that just came out from Eric Asimov that uh, you know, a lot, a lot more psalms are not just psalms anymore. They're they're more multifaceted, performing lots of different roles and responsibilities. But mm. speaking of Sean Rock, I think an important thing to note about Sean that you have in common with him is he is now working as a chef sober, which you have been working yeah. sober. Where I guess you're you're not in the restaurant industry any longer, but you did work in the restaurant industry while sober, right? Yeah, for five years I was serving sober. I had to get clean. I was on some other stuff that uh, I'm happy to say I have nine years clean from. But I had to get rid of the, the alcohol too because it, it was it was just a – it would take me there. So. The restaurant industry is no joke. I mean it, it can uh, – it's, it's not for the faint of heart. And I loved working in it. And I think you, people always ask me like, will you go back? No, I'm, I'm not in it any longer. Like will you go back to it? And I'm like, I don't know that I could. Like I think it's a young man's game at least from where I stand. I don't know. Could you go back to it now? I would not like to either. I, you know, I, as I was serving, I was also in LA trying to make it as an actor and a writer. So that was always my bigger, bigger passion. Right. As much as I enjoyed learning things about food and wine, it was, my passion was performing and that's what I get to do now. So yeah. just from that point of view, I do not want to go back, but yeah, if I had to go back and do any kind of work, you know, if you find the right, it's about finding the right spot, you know, if sure. you, you know, I've worked at so many places but I've spent 10 years at one place, you know, three years at another. Other than that, it was like a couple years. And when you find that right spot yeah. with a good team, it's yeah. great. I mean, it, there's nothing like it. Yeah. With aces in their places. Everywhere you turn, there's someone who knows their stuff and you don't have totally. to worry about them. And the guests feel it and you get all these regulars because of it. And you walk in there and it just doesn't feel like work that much, you know? So I could go back to a place like that. But here we are. We we both get to live out our, our passions and kind of combine all the relative skill sets that we've acquired over our mm-hmm. multitude of years working both in hospitality. And uh, my background is actually on, on stage and screen as well. So I oh, cool. I kind of arrived here in, in a similar trajectory. So now I get to yeah. talk about, you know, wine for a living, which is very fun. But we're going to talk more about all of your fun stories that you had on the floor because after that long of a career in two pretty major cities, I'm sure you've got some good ones. But before we jump into that, let's talk about what is going on in the wine world right now. All right. So there was an article that I stumbled across and I'll just read you the headline because I think it's a fun one. A robot sommelier spilled wine on my pants then it asked for a tip. And 
I'll tell you what happened in the article, but before I get there, I mean, I know a lot of people are like concerned with tipping culture and I feel like maybe this mm. article perhaps has indicated that we have arrived at a new destination, but effectively what happened was there's this winery in Calistoga tasting room that has what looks like a car manufacturing like robot and it can pick up a glass and it can pick up a glass of a bottle of wine and it can pour it for you. And this writer said he walked in. And he did the whole experience. And I guess for whatever reason, like it it wasn't calibrated to understand that there's a difference in shape. As you would know, a server, some would know that there's a difference between a burgundy and a Bordeaux bottle. And so when it picked up the burgundy bottle, it went to pour it in and it completely missed the glass and poured oh, it wow. on his lap. That seems like a really basic thing they could have programmed in, by the way. Right? Agreed. <laughs> his job is pouring wine. <laughs> Wouldn't the first go on. <laughs> Hey man, there's multiple size bottles. Maybe yeah. we should like factor that in. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, yeah, because it's not just two. You know, there's many different shaped bottles, but yeah. But the best part was like, okay, so number one, you have to pay for the full tasting. Number two, there's a twenty dollar robot fee on top okay. of that, All and right. then number three, it then put out a wine glass after and was like, tip please. No, I thought you meant. Yes, the, I thought you were going to say the robot fee was the tip, but you're saying on top no. of that. On top of that, that was your service charge. And these robots have families too. You know what I mean? Like That's they have bills. <laughs> the working robots in in Napa Valley. I mean, Napa Valley is an expense expensive place to do business and to live. So I guess yeah, I guess. But two hundred twenty dollars yeah. was the total for uh, okay. for doing a robot wine tasting. At that point, wouldn't any human want just a person? Like if you're paying a robot fee and tipping, like okay, I. The whole yeah. point of the robot was to make this. Well, like other than the fact that like it was getting, what he was saying was like it was getting people in the door, which if you've ever been to Calistoga, it's it's kind of lined with tasting rooms. And so it's, you know, sort of a one after the other, like Main Street Disney kind of thing. So I guess yeah. like to get people in the door is like, is great. And then, but then like, don't charge a robot fee. Like that was your, right. that was your main attraction. Like just charge the right. wine tasting fee. If I'm paying a $20 robot fee though, it better be Wally. Right. Pouring my wine. You know, I need like a celebrity robot. Oh, that would be fun if you could get like a celebrity yeah. theme. The robot. short circuit robot or yeah, yes. Wally or Eve. I'm here for that. Yeah. So yeah, if you're in if anybody's in Napa Valley and wants to go to Calistoga, it's the Maria Conchetto winery, which I've I've never been to. So yeah. uh, I don't I can't speak to the wines or the robot for that matter, but it does exist in beautiful Napa Valley where you can apparently have it all. Next up, I I hinted at it before. Eric Asimov, longtime wine writer for the New York Times, he just published a long piece called The Twilight of the American Sommelier. The job once seen as an essential feature of any establishment serious about wine now seems to be a luxury in the post-pandemic restaurant economy. I imagine you're probably seeing a little bit of this where you are in, in the LA area when you're going out to restaurants, but I, this has sort of been like, this has been happening for years now. I mean, even like pre-COVID, we were starting to see psalms who were taking on more than just the psalm role. So it's like these hybrid, like manager slash psalm, you know, server slash psalm. It doesn't sound like it's just something to, you know, that's happening in that world or in the world of restaurants. It's yeah. happening in a lot of places. People are being asked to do more, right? I feel like that's like, right. that sounds like a theme that's running through a lot of industries right now. When you were working at some of the places that you were working, did they have – did you ever work with like a team that had just like a dedicated 
SOM or was it always hybrid? It was always hybrid. Yeah. And now that I think about it, even even some of the places that I feel like could have, yeah. And that was what, a decade ago? Two decades ago? Yeah. 15 to years ago, 12 years ago, yeah. that type of thing. You know, I found myself working at a lot of these places that were like industrial foodie. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, yeah, where totally. it's like really intense food and wine programs that definitely attracted foodies, but the atmosphere was casual. Right. You know? It was relaxing. Uh, it wasn't hungry, hungry Cat thought. was the place I worked totally. for. Um, so David Lentz was a chef. His wife, Suzanne Goen, AOC and Luke's in Los Angeles. All of them kind of had this I same vibe. And, and so, you know, killer food, amazing spirits and wine, but very casual. And I think that also fit with like not having a song, but like they wanted all the staff to be proficient, uh, you know, in theory. So we were quizzed on wine all the time. We were yeah. tasting stuff all the time. The manager was always, it was a manager and assistant manager on hand. Someone you could grab that would have a really good command yeah. of the wine, but not a dedicated song. It's something of a rarity. I mean, like, I think it's interesting that that he published this article because it, it almost made it seem like, oh, it's this big new change. But the reality is like, this has kind of been the case for like a long time. And he, he points it out like in, you know, up to 2008 when the economic recession hit, you know, you you did see like a huge surge of like big wine restaurants where they were selling like crazy, crazy amounts of wine. And so you'd have like a dedicated team. But like since then, you know, we had a little bit of resurgence and I've been lucky to work in places that really were just like all I had to do was sell wine. But that was like I like we I was just talking about like that was a rarity. Like I knew that wasn't normal. Like most places, mm. you're doing lots of different jobs. And I, I actually think it's a good thing. Like I I felt lucky to be able to just do that. But I think from where a guest stands or sits, mm. I think that's a good thing because then you have like a really, really well-rounded staff that can talk about everything cohesively from mm. the food to the wine to the cocktails to, you know, whatever is going on in the restaurant. So I guess the the moral of the story is like if you're out and you ask to see the Psalm, if it also happens to be your server, like that's cool. Like that's a, that's a good thing. So just be on the lookout for that. So the place I worked last, uh, Boneyard Bistro in Sherman Oaks, California, it's a barbecue restaurant mm. and insane beer and, uh, spirits, but mostly whiskey kind of thing, especially back when it first started going like 2010, it was off the charts with beer. A lot of places have caught up since, but Speaking of that kind of staff, there was a period of like four or five years where it was incredible. Everybody like that worked there, even the servers, knew so much and were actually passionate about beer, whiskey, wine. Like that was their life. They lived it, yeah. breathed it, and the, and the customers could feel it too. So it's kind of one of those places where if I'm serving you, you had a question about a beer or wine, and I didn't know it, I would just like, it was kind of fun in, in a we keep it fun like this. I'd be, oh, hold on, yeah. Walker. You know, he'd come over. I'd be like, I'd say, this guy, his home collection is better than what we have here. So let me just ask him for you. Have you tried the ball? You know, whatever. And he'd be like, yeah. He would, he would, you'd have to pull him away. Like, you know, yeah. like three minutes later, he's like going into so much nuance. And so I think just having so many people on the staff and it was kind of like overlapping knowledge of things. Yeah. Almost made it kind of fun and impressive. Totally. Well, and like how much more convivial, 
But I think a lot more people want that sort of like, they just want to sit down and have a great meal. Like you're not seeing molecular gastronomy pop up all over the United States now. Like you're seeing much more relaxed into like definitely performing at a super high caliber, but like you're seeing people just sort of like, all right, we don't need the white table costs. Like, you know, we can do like great service, great hospitality, great food without mm. the pomp and circumstance of it all. And like have fun. Like I don't think there's anything better than being at a restaurant where like, you know, it seems like everybody likes each other and enjoys being mm. there, right? Like there's that's yeah. such a good feeling. Yeah. Both working and as a guest. So all things that we're definitely going to dive a little bit more into as we head into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. But before we get there, this is your reminder. If you are not part of the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club, this is your cue to get on board with that for season three. We've got a new shipment coming out. It's four wines every other month. I pick them because I drink them. And it's 120 bucks plus tax, but it includes shipping and you're going to get 10% off of your wine access purchases. We did have a little switcheroo in your uh, in your shipment this month. So you, uh, if you got your insert, you would have noticed that this wine I have right here, this is the Vinegut Tesh Riesling that I'm going to be drinking today. This is not for episode 35. This is for episode 36. Just a little programming note. So if you've got that, go ahead and grab it, pour yourself a glass, and we will see you in just a second. All right, you guys, I am back here with Drew, and I've got a little Riesling in my glass. Drew does not, of course, and we are going to be drinking that and talking all things wine etiquette at restaurants. Before we get into that, if you're drinking with me, this is the 2019 Weingut Tesch coming from a single vineyard, the Krone Vineyard, in not the Mosul in Germany, but the Naha, the sort of unsung hero of the region from fantastic vintage a la sort of 1982 Bordeaux, right? Like when we think about the iconic vintages of wine, we think about vintages like 2019 in Germany, 1982 in Bordeaux, 2013 in Napa. And this is one of those wines that I think is going to get overlooked by too many of you on a wine list. And that is exactly why we included it, because this is one of those wines that I think that if you go to a restaurant and you're perusing the wine list and you don't ask for a Psalm's help or a server's help, or whoever is there to help you with a wine list, you probably just pass right over it. But you shouldn't because it's such a good value and it's so delicious. And uh, you should be noticing all the great Riesling things that you normally get on the nose, everything from petrol to peaches to flowers. All of those are super benchmark, but this has got a little bit more body and weight and viscosity so you can kind of crunch on it in these winter months and drink it with some heavier, heartier foods. So hopefully that will be satisfying enough to get you through the next few topics around wine etiquette. All right, Drew, are you ready? I'm ready. I hit Instagram. I don't know if this was a, a, a mistake or not. I think it was a good thing. I asked Instagram what some of their biggest questions and concerns were around wine etiquette. And I got just shy of a hundred responses. It shocked me, some of the questions. And like in a good way, it shocked me. Like I had no idea how many questions and how many concerns and how much insecurity there was around this. I'm sure you kind of see this with like Bistro Huddy, right? Like I think there's a lot of things that you do when you publish content that you're like, I think you illuminate some of the, the insecurities that people have, not only about, you know, going to restaurants, but you know, talking to a server or like what to do when they see, you know, a menu item that they don't know. I'm sure like, do you ever get stories like that from people? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. People said uh, stories in all the time and people often comment that they, they use the videos that we make for educational purposes. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I didn't know okay. that about, that's good to know. You know, you made me a better sir, uh, customer, that kind of thing. 
That's nice. It's like, that's good feedback. I feel like the one that resonated the most with me mm. was the one, God bless, I love my parents. God bless them. The one with the parents in the front seat and you're in the back seat. Yeah. Training them before you go in. Before we go in, let's go through this. All right. When the server approaches the table and says, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'll be your server. What do we say? Diet Coke. No. Okay, dad, the server just asked, can I get you anything else? What are you not going to say? Yeah, a million dollars. Or? The winning lottery ticket. Right. Mom, you got to watch him, okay? Okay. Is asking for no tomatoes okay? Yes. That's... And is asking for shrimp instead of a baked potato okay? No, no. That was, <laughs> that was a particularly meaningful one. Yeah. We're going to start with that moment when you were presented the wine list. When you presented a wine list, what did you do? Did you have a spiel? Did you like, did you give it to a particular person? So different places, I did different things, you know, like we were trained at one place to give it to the host mm. and the host was either told us by the, when we were sat, you know, we were given something or you just deduced it based off, you know, talking to them and the greeting and that kind of thing. Or you could just ask if you didn't know. Yeah. Who would like the wine list? As far as like what I would spiel, it would really depend on every situation. I tried to like take in where they were at, you know, like some people are, yeah. they sit down, they're ready to focus on that. Some people are in a much more like social part of the meal and they're, you know, they need to take their time with that. And anything you do spiel wise is going to be like a record scratch, you know? Yeah. So totally. it was just like feeling it out. But I would try to ask a couple of questions in a, a way that would guide me to what they're interested in in that moment. You know, do they want information or not? Because some people want to be left alone with it. Yes. And some people, right? And they, they, they feel sold at and they don't like that. And they also have a real good understanding of wine, at least in their mind they do. And they know what they want. And then some people want you to talk about it, you know? So yeah, one of the be good lead-ins always found to kind of like gauge that would be to talk about something new we had gotten in. Mm. Some places we were pouring, a, we would do craft specials and wine specials or, or something that we had just brought in would be a way in. So it'd be like, here, I do want to mention we just got in a case of blah, 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 or this just came in, it's a blah, blah, blah. And if they sounded really interested in that, and then you just keep going from there. Yeah. Oh, also, yeah. Um, blah, blah. And by the way, are we thinking, you know, you know, ask those questions of what they're yeah. even into that night. But if you talk about something that is exciting to you personally in that moment, whether you just tasted it, the restaurant, or just got it in, or you just read something about it, or another table, you know, if you can find something that really, and it's genuine, like this is something I'm actually excited about, right? then you can kind of pick up from there. Cause if they're like, okay, thank you. Then you're like, okay, <laughs> great. I will check back. Do you have any questions? Or if they're like, wow, okay. Then you go into a spiel and it doesn't feel like a spiel. Now you're just talking. And it's a good point. Like if you're excited about something, the person that you're talking to is going to be excited about it as well. And on the opposite side of that, like if you're sitting in that seat, you can get a hand to the wine list and someone's like, Hey, by the way, we just got a case of, you know, 1999 Barola or whatever. And like, pay attention to that. Like, you know, I think the inside baseball of all this, which like we'll, we'll do a little more inside baseball later, but like inside baseball is like there's a lineup before the shift that happens every night. And so when that happens, like that's when everybody gets together and like these are the cool things that are happening at the restaurant. Now, sometimes it is an effort to like, you know, sell some things and move some things, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like 
you can kind of just lean into the restaurant a little bit more and have a great experience by like, you know, listening to that. So Mm -hmm. I think the moral of the story is like when you're handed that wine list, you could potentially ask, like, is there anything really exciting? Is there anything I should pay attention to? Um, and you could also ask at that moment, like, is there a, a dedicated dedicated sommelier or someone who can help me? That is such a harrowing moment for so many people. They like they get that wine list and they they freeze. They're like, I don't know what to do. So oh, like yeah. my advice, like my advice to you is just like, all right, take a moment. If you're gonna be the person that's gonna select the wine, take a take a poll of the table, see who's drinking what, make sure everybody's drinking, see if there's any preferences, red, white, how many bottles. And then also try to like ascertain budget at that point too. I think the more yeah. information you have going into that initial conversation, the better. And like just let it be a conversation. Once you get to the ordering part, I mean, I'm sure like as you said with some of your um some of the places you worked, like you kind of know like when you look at a wine list or you look at a place like what they're going to specialize in. And so you know, I, did you work at, aside from like the, the places with like great beer lists, like did you work at places that have like more specialized regions or specialized items like on the wine list or on like? I mean, the the Hungry Cat definitely, because of all this, it was seafood, a lot of locally sourced seafood, a lot of mm-hmm. Santa Barbara stuff, but a lot of whites. We had reds too, but it was a lot of more acidic reds, right? lighter bodied stuff, you know. So yeah, definitely that place comes to mind. And and then the other places that had great wine lists. Oh, oh, the barbecue restaurant. I dare you to find a restaurant that had a larger Zinfandel collection mm. because it just went well with Zinfandel. that. And the owner, Chef Aaron Robbins, loved those big fruit bombs and and beyond. I mean, he had like so many Turleys, for instance, oh, and cool. like and beyond. So like, I learned a lot more about Zinfandel. Totally. Yeah. A lot of California zins. No, it's it's a great point, and I think it like it lends itself to what I I usually tell people, which is like, if it seems like they are leaning heavy into a particular thing, whether that's a region or a varietal or style, like you should probably like pay attention to that. And perfect opportunity to be like, hey, what's up with all the zins on this list? And then like you as the server can just be like, oh, you know, zingaroo's great with barbecue yeah they go great with our food you know to me it's like if you go to an italian restaurant and you see mostly italian wines in the list and there's like five napa cab selections like don't order the camus like order the italian wine like there's probably a reason that the italian wines in the list the reason the camus is on there is because too many people complained right that they didn't have any camus and they're like well we gotta make money and we don't want to piss people (sighs) off so we'll just put it on there right 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 so that's that's part one. So that's how you're gonna be you're gonna be handed the wine list. You're gonna navigate it. You're gonna have a conversation with the server. Hopefully, it'll be a pleasant one. I don't know about you, but I always feel like you know there's a dance, right? And I think like if you know to be nice to your server, like your server generally reciprocates. Do you feel that way? Definitely, in most cases, you know. Yeah. Everybody's been in that situation with a server who's clearly frazzled. Maybe there's stuff going on in the restaurant. They're overwhelmed. But outside of those kind of situations, I think a good server will definitely pick up on that. I was also going to say, like, from the customer guest point of view, when you're handed that wine list, don't try to pretend you're something you're not. I think a lot of people feel the pressure in that moment to impress the server or something, like that they know more about wine than they do. Yes. As a server, if you do that, 
first of all, the, the, the customer can smell it from a server who's BSing. <laughs> and a server can smell it from a guest who's BSing. So let's just Correct. all let go of that. Correct. Some of the best conversations about wine start with like, I got to be honest, I don't really have a clue right here or 100%. or my wine knowledge isn't really reflected in this list. Can you help me? Or yeah. can you or someone here help me with that? And if you're just honest up front, everybody relaxes and then you're going to probably arrive at a really great selection. If you come at me and try to show me that you know, like you think you know something about, about wine, like I think there's a, there's a fine line, right? Like I want to know where you're at for sure. Like, you know, if you, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to talk to you, like you've never had a glass of wine in your entire life before. But the other thing is like, this isn't a test. Like you don't need to prove to me that you know what tannins are and like what the greatest vintage of world, like that this is not the time or the place. Like, I don't, I don't need to know that. Conversely, like, I don't need to share everything that I've ever learned about wine with you. And like, you see that a lot with like very green psalms, right? Like how many times have you been right. to a place and they're like, you know, they're fluffing their feathers. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I know everything. Yeah. But you, nobody needs to do that. Just c- cut the bullshit. Like, just get into like, you know what you know, you don't what you don't. Like, it's all good. So just have a con- right. have a conversation like two human beings. But wine does that to people. Wine brings it totally out the- does. It does. Everybody feels like they're supposed to be born with this knowledge or something. The fun part, once you've decided on the wine, the serving and the accepting of that, that whole dance, the back and forth that you do. Have you done this dance where you present the wine with the label oh, yeah. and open the, yeah, you've done all that? Oh, yeah. Again, uh, we were trained at the Hermitage Hotel um, very specifically on this. And I carried that with me forever because, you know, we learned the absolute right way to do it. And then I worked at places where, you know, it was a little more casual, but I would still you know, try to do it the right way as best as I, as I knew how it could, you know? Yeah. Cause I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that part of it. Did you ever have it go wrong? Like where somebody like <laughs> sent, like you brought the wrong, wrong bottle or like. There's stories like that. The worst story was a physical mishap, you know? Oh. So this is a, this is in the Hermitage Hotel downstairs. It's called, it was called the Capitol Grill at the time, not the chain. Okay. It's spelled differently than the chain. It was a one of, one of kind of place. This is Sean's place. Okay. White tablecloth, you know, um, you know, meals for a party of four. This is like 15 years ago would easily be, you know, in the five to uh, over 1,000 range uh, or two to 5,000, depending on the wine. Wow. That kind of thing. You know, so this is like I'm opening a very nice – I can't remember what the bottle was. Now that I'm on this podcast, I'm, I'm sure if I <laughs> wishes I did. But it was expensive. Let's say it was like a $500 bottle. and. Okay. Four businessmen having a pretty uh, in, in, intriguing conversation regarding business, I could tell. So I'm like being very like, and I cut my hand on the foil. Oh, no. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't excuse myself, though. That's what I should have done. Yeah. So I decided in that moment, I was just going <laughs> to like pretend like it didn't happen and yeah. use the napkin I had, I had <laughs> to like bandage myself <laughs> as I continue. The show to must go on. And it's like, you know, I'm just like saw a drop of, you know, just fall onto the but I'm like, it's red wine. Like maybe they won't know. And I'm like, this is like becoming a disaster. But I remember just like trying to like pour I never let my anything from my body blood like contaminate their wine nobody drank your blood that night but that's no no but it was i i was panicking i was full-on panic attack i didn't know what to do like 
talk about the wine, like how we put up, you know, fronts about wine and what we know as a server at, in that totally. situation, that moment, the idea of saying, oh, please excuse me, never <laughs> seemed like a possibility to me. I think it, I, I would, the older version of me would have done that easily. I'm like, oh, yeah. excuse me, guys, walked off the stage. I know. I do wonder if that was like the actor in you, right? You're like, just got to keep, got to keep The show's got to go on. Yeah, yeah exactly. that was the worst. I also had a guy who'd saved a bottle. This is at a different place, you know, for a very special occasion. And then, you know, the cork was a mess. And I was in, I did not have the experience at that time to even recognize how bad the cork was. I was kind of a newer yeah. server. And they never should have let me open this considering the the stakes involved. I don't know right. the year, but it was definitely from the 80s. And this was probably 2005. And it had just been improperly stored and God knows what else, but it just pushed in, you know, all the way or yeah, halfway yeah. in. And there was no, it was one of the, every servers probably had that situation, you know? Oh, I have, I have saved many a server from the cork all over the table or in the bot. Like the amount of times that I per- performed surgery on corks, like off to the side after she yeah. was like, uh, I didn't look at the vintage of the wine before I decided that was like a corkage thing, but you know, yeah. they bring it back like cat and Anne. Like, I'm so sorry about it. It's okay. You can always solve it. Oh, one of my great successes though, was at this very nice restaurant where they wanted, it was like maybe 12 people wanted to share this one bottle of very special wine. And I tried to encourage them to get more, but I don't know if it was a budget thing or what. I had to evenly pour a bottle amongst that many people. Oh, that's and funny. I did a taste. And then I started with the host uh, wife and I did all the ladies and then I did all the gentlemen and I got to the last guy who had ordered it, you know, and poured it. And it was like, perfect. It was like the perfect amount everybody had. And I was like that last drop. They were like, wow, well, that was really well done. And in my mind, it was like, you're damn right. It was. You have no idea what I just did. No. So if you're if you're sitting at a restaurant and you order the bottle of wine, first thing that's going to happen is that that wine's going to hopefully be presented to you. If it's not presented to you, strike one, right? Like there's right. Right. problem. But so the wine should be presented label facing you, as I'm sure you remember, right? Label facing. Oh, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna say what the wine is. You're gonna announce the vintage because the vintage does matter. And at that point. This is your first opportunity to make sure, like, don't brush it off. Because I, the amount of times that I've had a wine brought to me and it's not the right bottle and, like, it could have cost me a lot more money than if yeah. I wanted to spend. Yes. That is your opportunity to, like, make sure that you – because once that cork's out of the wine, yeah. like, that's, you know, it's game over. A lot of people misunderstand what all these steps are for. They're, they're very yeah. practical steps. A lot of people misunderstand all this as some sort of pageantry. Yes. It's very practical. Every bit of this is practical. It was baked in over time because it was necessary. So yeah, yeah. A lot of people think, oh, this is some like, look at what you have. <laughs> you know, it's like no, we're literally checking to make sure I got you the right thing, right? Yeah. No, exactly. And it's, a lot of all of this is CYA, right? This entire this entire like however many steps this is, it's all making sure that like we arrive at the moment that you wanted to arrive at. So starting with, yeah. did you order the right thing? And did I get the right thing for you? Because there's no robot SOM in this scenario to like, <laughs> right, right. you know, use their AI skills. Like this is a human. Humans make mistakes. Robots apparently make mistakes too. But, you know, the right. like, especially on wine lists that have like multiple vintages or multiple cuvées, like 
it happens more than you think it happens. And to your point, mm. it's not pageantry. Like this is your opportunity to make sure that it is what you ordered. So make sure, number one, you know what you ordered. Number two, that's what's in front of you. I also, at this point, I like to just like use the back of my hand and just like check the temperature of the bottle, especially if it's a white wine. Mm. Because if it's not cold, you're going to want to make sure that you let them know to like chill it down a little bit. But also, if it's hot, that's probably like maybe you should rethink what you ordered. Because if it's hot, that means it hasn't been stored right. And that happens sometimes too. So like, you know, at that point – Back of the hand, kind of against, you know, wherever is like not the label, just make sure it's like it's a nice temperature that's not scolding hot or, you know, too, too cold or whatever. And then mm. from there, the server's either going to open the wine to the table, like Drew did, hopefully not cut themselves and bleed into <laughs> the abyss. Or they're gonna take it to a, a wine station. Like I don't I don't know if you've ever worked at a place, but like we with wine stations, but like if they do take it away, this happens a lot at like three Michelin starred restaurants where they won't open a table side. Mostly because there's so much that can go wrong that they're like, let me just like, yeah, let me take this to the kitchen, make sure that we don't we don't f it up for you. So they're gonna take it away, they're gonna open it for you. Some places check it to make sure that the wine is sound, and I'm gonna explain what that means in a second. Some places will check mm. it. So if it's you know, especially if it's like an older bottle, they're gonna make sure that it's not corked, that it's not oxidized, that there's nothing wrong with the wine. And then what happens next is is the dance. This is like, this is the ex- that weird exchange. You're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. So right. the glasses should be down on the table. I did get a question from someone that said like, is it bad if my glass has lipstick remnants on it from the night before? Yeah. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> not, bad. not great. Not ideal. Not the worst thing in the world, but not great. Like you're paying a premium for these wines. Like you should have clean yeah. glassware. Like there, these yeah. are things that you yes. are entitled to. So yeah, there's, if there's lipstick on the rim, like, you know, lipstick can, as you know, from like polishing many glasses, I'm sure like lipstick can stay on a rim despite going through the dishwasher. So it doesn't mean it's unclean, but it definitely means it hasn't been like. Oh yeah. I'm sure it was clean, but yeah, that should be polished off. Yeah. Polish it. Yeah. So at that point, the glass should be on the table. They're going to pour you like an ounce ish of wine, maybe two ounces. You're going to take that glass. You're going to smell it. You can swirl it if you want. It should smell like wine. And this is like the simplest explanation I can give to people. They're like, what am I checking for? You are checking to make sure that the wine that you ordered is in fact not flawed. So there's no hints of TCA. So that's like that like wet cardboard newspaper basement that like sort of dank smell. It's not oxidized. It doesn't smell like port when it's not port. Um, It should smell like wine. If it doesn't smell like wine, like raise your hand. Hey, if this doesn't smell like wine, what should we do about it? And one of the questions that I get a lot is like, all right, if the wine doesn't smell like it should, like we're not talking about I don't like it because we'll talk about it in a second. Like if it doesn't smell like it should, what should I do? Do you have any good hacks for that? Uh, well, all I know is I was taught that it happens, you know? It's like mm-hmm. there's a percentage of wine that just something goes wrong in the bottle and it's it's not cataclysmic or like anything that should be like, oh, the horror, you know? <laughs> you can check it too. Or take it away yep. and have a psalm or someone check it to make sure you concur. But that can be sent back to the winemaker. You know, it's not like you've just destroyed this restaurant's uh, ability to make money that night. You know, it happens. Yeah. So I would just, you know, handle it that way. Yeah. I usually, like if I smell something off in the wine, I usually just look up at the server and just like, hey, like, did you have a chance to check this? And if they said no, then like, hey, would you mind, like something feels a little off here. Would you mind like taking a peek or having someone take a peek? I, you know, just, it's not 
It's not doing what it's supposed to. And if they have said yes, they have checked it. Just kind of explain, like you know, I tell me what's going on in this wine because to me this isn't this isn't what I'm used to, and maybe they can help to eliminate. But also, like if you don't like the wine and the wine has been sold to you, you should taste the wine. Also, I I got into a little bit of a TikTok war about that on whether or not <laughs> whether or not you're right, supposed to smell it. Yeah, yeah, no, you got to taste the wine. Like at the end of the day, we're not just sitting here with a glass and smelling the wine. You, you got to taste it. It's not rude. It's not I think I think the point that they were trying to make was like it's bad etiquette. It's not poor etiquette. Unless were you taught otherwise to not taste the wine? No, I've no. I was taught that some people prefer just to smell it. Yeah. And some people want to taste it as well. And whatever they want to do is fine, but it's definitely way more common to taste it. The cork should smell like nothing and you don't need to do anything with it. Right. The cork is usually presented if it's not not the end of the world, but you can always ask to see it. The cork shouldn't smell like anything. And I usually ignore the cork entirely until I've had a second to like smell and taste the wine, mostly because it's a confirming agent, right? Like it's, if you smell something off and you taste something off, like you can check the cork to then make sure like, oh, this actually does smell like it might be corked, but you should ignore the cork. Other things that I've seen, like, you know, they'll, they'll comment on like the tears look good. Like that's not a thing. So don't worry about that. You can comment on the color if you want. But like at this point, like the only thing that you need to be doing is making sure that the wine tastes like wine. That's it. Yeah, you want to make sure it's a good bottle. When is it appropriate to send wine back? Do you have thoughts on this? I mean, when it's corked or like you said, it has that port-like raisiny thing going on. But the most common is when it's corked, I think. That's the most. Yeah. That that damp, basement-y, cardboard-y thing. Yeah. There is... One other, and this is not universally true, but if you're at a restaurant and you talk to the Psalm about what it is you want to drink tonight and you've communicated, this is what I want. They're like, this is what we suggest. If the wine that arrives to you is not what you guys talked about, that is a moment Mm. for you to be like, hey, this is not what we discussed and this is not living up to expectations. The time for that conversation is right then. It is not after Mm. the wine has been poured it's not after the restaurant can't do anything about it. The time to rectify that situation is in that moment. So I would say that that is one exception to the rule. If you sat down and you were like, I'm going to order this wine because it looks cool or it's the right price or whatever, and you didn't have a conversation, like kind of a too bad, so sad moment if you don't like it. Right. But as we sort of alluded to before, like restaurants can often find ways to make bottles disappear and economically viable ways like they can sometimes sell things by the glass so if you did that and you're like tail between your legs I'm so sorry I ordered this wine I know this is like not what I'm supposed to be doing like I think there is a there's a conversation that you can have have if you know that like the outcome may not swing your way it's very 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 rare you know yeah it doesn't happen all the time but yeah. yeah, just be, you know, be nice and don't do it all the time. Like, don't, like, protocol in restaurants is like, don't be an asshole and they won't be an asshole to you. Like, that that just right. kind of is, like, how you can kind of operate. And I, you know, I, we have had situations when I was working as a psalm where someone ordered a bottle and they're like, I'm so sorry. Like, this is not what I expected. Is there anything you can do about it? And, like, I think if you know that they're, it's not the norm, like, we would find a way to rectify it and find something that you want. But there are places that you know, do crazy amounts of business that will just like, they're like the Nordstrom of restaurants. Like they'll just, they'll take anything back. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No problem. What else? What do you want to try? 
So yeah, so that's that's the song and dance that you have to kind of go through. That's the wine etiquette mm-hmm. side of things. Tipping. This is always a controversial topic. Do you tip on the wine? Did people tip on the wine when you were working? Most people did, and the, uh, you know, some people didn't. And I understood that some people just philosophically did not. So it was like, you know, you're always like, as a server, you want to make money, so you're always yeah. like, kind of hoping they do. But if they don't, it wasn't. It, I never was like taking it personally like I would if they didn't tip on the on a normal part of the bill. When yeah. it came to the wine, I kind of like, yeah, some people just. That's just not what they do. Whatever. Yeah. But like kind of like the after part of that is like, and I don't know how how it was at the places you worked, like the entire sales, total sales for the night included the wine. And so like a lot of times, you know, depending on where you work, the tip out is based on total sales for the server. So like Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you can get massively screwed or you can you can be screwed. If you're not shipping on the wine, you can definitely be screwing the house on that both you're you're getting into such a huge conversation like outside of even wine at this point but yeah yeah a lot of places some people don't know this a lot of places you work you tip out the support staff bussers bartenders hostess food runners all this stuff and a lot of restaurants structure it where you're tipping out on your sales and so the restaurant is assuming you're making like 20 percent tips and so they're they're pulling money automatically to the support staff based off sales so when you don't receive those tips it's coming out of your own the server's right. own pocket yeah right yeah so it's you know as much as somebody's like i don't i don't want to tip on a 500 hundred dollar bottle you know the same that i would tip on a 50 i get that i hear that just know if you're going to do that like it's there's more than one person you're likely affecting in that scenario and it's not just the sum like most of the time that money's not going to the sum's pocket entirely it's it's going to the entire house and it often is based on total sales but yeah i think for me like mostly people tipped on the the full wine like there wasn't some people don't tip on tax but yeah but most people do and that there is no like standard etiquette but if i if i were to tell you what most people do that is that is the norm we should talk about uh in these final moments two things one is corkage and two is this is sort of a combo of the verbal tip and the wine tip. I know you've talked about the verbal tip before. Some people yeah. may not know what the verbal tip is. You want to explain what the verbal tip is? Yeah, I've done a couple of videos about it. This guy at my table said everything was fantastic, great service, but he didn't tip me. Yeah, you just got a verbal tip, dude. Yeah. If only I could pay my bills with verbal tips. Total is 82.74. Do you want to do cash charge or verbal tip? Oh, verbal tip. Yeah. You were great. Everything was great. Fantastic service. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank okay. you very much. Have a great day. Hey, it's the first of the month there and rent's due. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you've been a great landlord this month. Everything works great. You fixed that sink. Good job there. Okay, great. See you next month. How do you afford such a nice car? I've been getting some pretty good verbal tips lately. Yeah. And if they shake your hand, you're really screwed. <laughs> like, I tell you, that's the greatest service I've ever had, young man. Thank you so much. Uh, okay. And of course, it's, you know, that was that right. was their tip. Yeah. And it, somehow this is like a universal thing. Like, it doesn't matter where you've worked. Like, you, if you have worked in hospitality as a server, you have experienced the verbal tip. And the mm-hmm. verbal tip equivalent in the wine world is the, this is a question uh, we got a lot, which is like, should you, if you bring in a bottle of wine, we'll talk about corkage in this last few minutes. If you bring in a bottle of wine, should you pour the psalm a taste or a glass right. of the wine? And sometimes, and I would say like every restaurant has a different policy on like whether or not you're allowed to drink on the floor or not. So like sometimes it's acceptable, sometimes not. 
it's never assumed, number one, and on our part and the Psalms part. Number two, if you're going to do it, it is not a substitution for a tip. <laughs> just, That's funny. I, I just want to be that. clear about that because yeah. it happens more than you think. Not for everyone. Yeah, I bet. It happens more than you think. Like we can't put that wine in our pockets. We can't We can't put that <laughs> in the tip pool. Right. The restaurant can't take that to the bank. Like thank you so much for your generosity, but like not right. a thing. Don't do that. Got it. So like the corkage thing, super controversial. You know, not every state allows corkage, but – uh, did you ever work anywhere that allowed corkage? Oh yeah, multiple places. Uh, corkage, folks that don't know, is uh, a restaurant will charge you for bringing in your own bottle. You know, and it can range. You can call ahead and find out what the corkage fee is. I it was always kind of a pet peeve when people would act shocked. Yes, the corkage fee is what? I'm like, if you're bringing in your own wine and you're sensitive to corkage fees, call ahead and find out. Yeah, call ahead and find out. Also, if you're bringing in, if you have a party of 12 people and you're bringing in quite a few bottles, call ahead and talk to the manager and work something out, you know, because sometimes yeah. they'll be like, okay, here's what I'll do. You know, our normal, normal corkage fee is this, but I will do this. If you buy a bottle of ours, we'll do this, or I'll do this for the first one. I'll do this for the following four, you know. Corkage was not, so we, I grew up in Pennsylvania and it was BYOB, like we didn't have corkage. And when I got to California and started working in Napa Valley, the manager was like, hey, like corkage is like a thing here. People will definitely bring in their models. And I didn't know to what extent this was going to cause so much controversy in a restaurant. And the only thing I can tell you is everyone, you know, hospitality is on one side of the fence and the people coming to the restaurant on the other side of the fence. Nobody wants to pay corkage. Nobody wants to see your bottle. Well, that's not true. We're happy to have corkage-ish. We all want to make money. But the rule of thumb is like if you are going to bring your own bottle to a restaurant, number one, you should know what the policy is in advance and respect the policy. Know that, you know, if it's $30 a bottle, like expect to pay the $30 a bottle. If they have a maximum of bottles that you're allowed to bring, respect that. And if you're not okay with that, call ahead. Have a conversation. A lot of times, like you said, there are ways to circumnavigate that. If you're going to buy a $600 bottle of Chapelet and bring in a, you know, a bottle of champagne, like cool, like we can probably work something out. But Always have a conversation ahead of time, not mm-hmm. when everybody's seated at the table trying to enjoy dinner because, like, we don't have the time. We don't want to – it's not – it's not – it's unpleasant. It's very unpleasant. It's unpleasant. Yeah, it just ruins the atmosphere of the meal too. Yeah. Work it out yeah. ahead of time. No surprises. You should – somebody had asked, like, do you pay more for magnums? Yes. Usually the corkage fee is, is double for a magnum. Mm-hmm. Somebody had asked, what's a reasonable corkage fee? Again, like, it really depends on the place. Like, if you go to the French Laundry, their corkage is, like, 150 or $200 a bottle is what it is. Like, you're the French Laundry. Yeah, you I mean, they want, you know. <laughs> well, people have to understand, again, practical reasons why. Why would a restaurant do that? Right. It's because the restaurant has a wine list that they've curated. Right. That they've – put a lot of effort into that works well with their food. It's how they make money. And so that's the practical reason why. So they're offsetting the loss of selling their own wine by you bringing in yours. So a restaurant like the French Laundry, of course, it's going to be a very substantial fee because there's their wine list and their revenues and all their numbers need to match a certain amount. So yeah, it just makes sense. Also, another thing I would say is, don't bring in two different kinds of wine if you're bringing in your own. Don't bring in a wine that the restaurant already sells. Yes. And don't bring in a, a wine that is extremely like cheap. Like, like I had someone bring in, you know, they're like, 
barefoot Chardonnay once and was right. like annoyed at our $25 corkage fee. They're like, the wine was right. only $2.99. I'm like, that's just, well, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, what are you even doing at that point? You know? Like, right. And also, so. if it doesn't have a cork and it's a screw top, you still have to pay corkage. Right. Corkage just... does not refer to the actual, <laughs> you're not paying the server to actually. Right. get the cork out, you know. Right. But al- along the same lines, like if you're paying corkage, like it does entitle you to glassware. Uh, if they have a decanter and you want the wine decanted, you can always ask for that. You know, it it entitles you to the same steps of service that we just went through. So uh, you should expect that to some degree. Not all restaurants will sort of adhere to that. You know, a, a, mm. a restaurant of a lower caliber, so to speak, will probably not. But if you're going to a nice restaurant, you know, you should still be getting the nice glassware. You should still be getting the decanter. You should still be getting all that stuff. Because effectively, you know, you're not only paying to offset what the restaurant missed out on in terms of um, revenue, but you're also paying for that experience, uh, which is also why you're paying an additional fee, a markup on top of the wines that you would normally see a little bit less at a retail store. Last couple of questions in terms of sampling, uh, you know, if you're ordering by the glass, what do you think is is the appropriate amount of wines to try by the glass before it's absurd? Two or three, three max. And that's like, to me pushing it a little bit i would say two is very normal yeah three is like okay you know but after that i mean that's insane to me after one if you're not liking it like that's a moment to have a conversation with someone the staff is so well trained on by the glass stuff like if there's anything that they've been like they may not know everything by the bottle but they have definitely been quizzed multiple times on that by the glass list and so that's an opportunity for you like hey this isn't working for me i want more of this or less of that Tell me where to go. You know, it's not an opportunity. Yeah, you need, you need to trust their descriptions more at that level, right? Yes. That was always right. kind of annoying. It's like, so tell me about this wine. And I would give a very, you know, uh, maybe back when I was drinking, I had had it. Um, I had been selling it for maybe years. I had gotten lots of feedback. I knew this wine. And I would have a lot of commando and explain it. And they'd be like, can I taste it? And they're just like, all right. All right. What about this one? Well, this one's very different. It's blah, 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 blah. Can't taste it? You know, it's like, all right, what are we doing here? Why, you know? Yeah. Trust, trust yeah, them. No, treat bit. it, you know, treat it like a menu item, right? Like you you can't try the scallops and send them back in favor of the lobster. Like it doesn't, right. doesn't work quite that way. Very last question. Do psalms slash servers judge people who order wines on the lower end of the price spectrum? This is not I didn't. I didn't either. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you want. I don't know how much you care about wine. There's so many factors that go into why someone would choose a wine. And it's way beyond what I could possibly know about your life. I would, uh, you know, if they ask for recommendations, I would hit different price points or ask them for their budget, you know, and, and guide them there. But yeah. as far as like, no, I didn't. Exactly. I mean, you're going to get the occasional server who's going to, We've all seen it at Bistro Huddy. That's going to judge you behind <laughs> you. But they're going to—they're judging you for other things too, so you can't be helped. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not the price; it's yeah, your behavior. <laughs> yeah. Second cheapest bottle on the wine list is not a great deal. We'll just mention that. Uh, right. Hell misconception. The wines are usually priced universally across the board. Any other restaurant etiquette tips that you uh, feel like you want to get off your chest? It's like life advice, you know. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. Just be yourself. And like you said, talk to your server like a human being usually works out. 
Yeah. It works out. Usually gets you a great bottle of wine and a great meal and a great experience. Uh, this Riesling for anyone who was drinking it with us today, again, it was the Vine Gut Tesh. And like I said, these are the kinds of wines that you find by being open-minded, by talking to the people who have studied this stuff. It's their job to know about the wine. It's not your job. You you get to sit back and relax and that's what you're there for, that's paying right. all the money. So Great advice. Yeah. As Drew mentioned, you can find him all over the socials, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Anywhere else that I'm missing? Are you on like Facebook a- too, yeah. Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. I always forget about the Facebook. Yeah. And is it it's at yeah. Drew Talbert across the board, right? Yeah. And TikTok, there's a little period in between the Drew and Talbert. And then uh, everywhere else you can just, yeah, Google or look Drew Talbert up. Yeah. Google Bistro Huddy, the fictitious restaurant that we all Yeah. There's you know, bistrohuddy.com if you want the merch. Ooh, we love merch. Yeah, bistrohuddy.com, or you can go to patreon.com slash bistrohuddy. And uh, it's like five bucks a month. You could be a part of the Patreon. So we post and do lives and stuff there too. True. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your extraordinarily busy content creating life with two kids and a wife and, you know, navigating the intricacies of living in California. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. really big thank you for all of your support over this last two seasons we've had so much fun and are really looking forward to doing more of it in season three if you've got a bit it we would so appreciate you subscribing to this podcast leaving us a comment and of course following us on instagram and youtube where we're doing some great video content also we got so many questions on this last episode around all things wine etiquette i obviously could not get to all of them but i want to make sure that all of these questions are addressed. And so I'm going to be releasing some videos over on YouTube and Instagram over these next few weeks talking about more wine etiquette at restaurants. So if you have a question that you feel like didn't get answered, go ahead and follow us there. I'll be answering. And if you've got more questions that you'd like to see us tackle, you can go ahead and DM us on Instagram at wineaccessunfiltered. Again, thank you guys so much. I love doing this. It's my favorite thing. And uh, I look forward to hearing your feedback on the next season. Cheers. Cheers.